Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Justin McGuire. Justin is the host of the Baseball by the Book podcast and the former Major League Baseball editor at Sporting News. You can give him a follow on Twitter at MLB. Justin, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start at the beginning. I ask everyone this right at the top. Tell me what initially attracted you to baseball in the first place. Well, I, I was a, you know, a lot of people talk about how they got into baseball through their dads. Uh, it was not the case for me. My dad was not particularly a sports fan, but I had three older brothers who were, and they all got, you know, we were, we grew up in the suburbs of Rochester, New York, and, you know, everybody of that era, I, was, I grew up in the 70s, everybody in that era played baseball, they played Little League, so they all played Little League, and they, you know, they would watch baseball on TV and, you know, Game of the Week and This Week in Baseball and stuff, and that's really how I got into it, through my brothers. And then, you know, I started playing. I, be, I became an Orioles fan and just got hooked and have been a passionate baseball fan ever since. Were you a baseball card collector as a kid? Yes, yes, very much so. Again, I grew up in the era when, you know, if you were, if you were a boy growing up in the suburbs, there was a good chance you were collecting baseball cards. It was just sort of part of the culture at that time. Um, you know, we'd go down to the corner drugstore and, and you, people would buy packs, of, you know, three, four or five at a time. And we trade them in the neighborhood to other kids. We, you know, if you had doubles of a certain player, you'd trade them to get their play you were looking for. And yeah, I still have all of them somewhere. I have like my sort of Hall of Famers and All Stars in a separate binder, and all the other ones just in a box somewhere. But yeah, I was definitely a big baseball card guy, as, as were my brothers. Like I said, that was part of what got us all into it. And where are you from? Are you from the Baltimore area? No, I grew up in um, Rochester, the suburbs of Rochester. New York. And at the time, um, the Red, Rochester Red Wings were the AAA affiliate of the Orioles. And, you know, they were for years and years. They're, they're now with the Twins. But uh, when I was growing up, a lot of people in, in Rochester became Orioles fans because of that. And so I sort of just sort of picked up on that. You host your own podcast, Baseball by the Book. Do you read all the books that come your way? And what are your favorite baseball books ever? Yeah, I um, right now I can say honestly I have read all the books, <laughs> although I don't know how much longer that's going to last. I've, I've had so many. Um, I've been doing the podcast since December, and I do two two episodes a week where I interview the authors of the baseball books that I'm um, that I'm featuring. Um, it's getting to a point though where I'm, I'm kind of having to. I, I I brought in a guy to help me, and he's doing some of that. And um, so there there are some books I think I'm going to have to sort of skim for stuff. But yeah, I do for the most part read everything. Um, you know, I say my favorite baseball books ever. Unfortunately, they're probably not like real interesting because the same answers a lot of people would give. But my very favorite book ever is the original Bill James Historic Baseball Abstract, which came out in the mid '80s. Um, and by that time, by the time I read it, I was already in college, and I had read some of the Bill James annuals before that. But it really changed my my life and my not my life, but you know, my way of thinking about baseball. And my way of thinking about a lot of things as well. I mean, he's just his ability to kind of see through BS and to kind of ask the questions and, and use logic instead of um, emotion. Really, I think it, it affects the way you look at uh, the world in general a lot for me anyway. Um, the other one that I put up there is um, The Glory of Their Times by Lawrence Ritter, which I think you know every baseball fan needs to read that. It's just just an amazing um, oral history of the early days of the 20th century and the players who played then. It's, it's just, if you're, if you're a baseball fan, I, I guarantee you, you'll enjoy it. 
Yeah, a couple of my favorites. I love Dollar Sign on the Muscle, which is a great book yeah. about scouting. And I love scouting books in general. Another great scouting book is uh, Prophet of the Sandlots, which is about right. Tony Lucadello. And I actually just discovered that book fairly recently, and I love it. That's one of my favorites. One of my favorite things as a kid is I used to get the baseball encyclopedia just because it had all the stats in it. Oh, and right. I would just flip through it endlessly. And it's not like written by anyone per se. I know John Thorne did a ton of work on that um, back in the day. But I used to love the baseball encyclopedia. It was like my favorite thing ever when I would get that as a kid yeah and it's i think again people who are younger particularly you know you know anybody in their teens or 20s certainly my son who's 13 and is a big baseball fan they can't really understand what it was like to get something like that back then because now you can find everything that you know you go into baseball reference and you have everything in the baseball encyclopedia plus more but back then you know like when i was a kid and, I, and I'm, you know i'm sure when you were a kid you, you couldn't find that stuff anywhere else so to just sort of sit down and, and and go through that was just a fascinating exercise and it really was something you couldn't you couldn't get anywhere else it's a, it's a very different world now with the, with the internet i'm curious you mentioned bill james and you were a editor at Sporting News, a prominent national outlet. And a lot of the guests I've had on when we talk about sabermetrics, I know you're interested in sabermetrics. And some of the writers and the broadcasters talk about how they're interested in it, but they don't feel like they can present it in a way that's um, attainable for everyone reading their columns. They don't want everyone to be able to understand, and they don't want to get into it always, and that's why sometimes they still rely on some of the more traditional statistics. I'm curious how, as an editor, you would encourage your writers to use sabermetrics in their pieces. Well, I was fortunate. The writers that I was working with primarily um, when I was at Sporting News were um, Jesse Spector and Ryan Fagan, um, and I, I suspect your listeners are probably familiar with both those guys. Um, and both of them are, 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 you know, certainly familiar with sabermetric concepts and are, and are people who believe in advanced stats and, and that sort of thing. So it was never, it was never a struggle with those guys. There was some, there were some other writers there maybe before those guys who were a little more old school where maybe it was a little bit more of a, a tough thing, but it was never a challenge to get those guys to think in those terms. And, and, um, they would the thing the challenge like you said was always to try to make sure we're we're using the concepts and ideas behind sabermetrics but but presenting them in a way that the average reader maybe who isn't as familiar with them is going to understand and I'll put myself in that category in some ways I'm not somebody who could write a Fangraphs article very effectively I don't think you know I don't I don't necessarily think that way I I love reading this stuff and I love under, you know trying to understand it but I'm not somebody who would sit down with a spreadsheet and come up with great observations about baseball um, so I think that that sort of was my role is to kind of be the guy who understands it and appreciates it but make sure that it's 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 accessible for people who aren't gonna you know gonna sit down and crunch the numbers themselves. We are recording this podcast on Tuesday the 11th. We are just about a week into the season, a week from opening day, a week after opening day, rather. And everything is a small sample size right now, but I wanted to look at some of the teams and some of the players around Major League Baseball right now, and you tell me if you're buying what's happening or if you think there's a legitimate cause for concern. Let's start with the world champion Cubs. Jake Arrieta, his velocity is down a couple miles an hour. That's always a cause for concern for anyone. Are you concerned about Arietta and does that affect your opinion of the Cubs at all? I would say... My concern level with him is minimal at this point. Um, I think his results in his first two games have been have been good, and he struck out ten, I think, in his last start, um, even with the reduced velocity. So I would on him. I, I would throw. I'm sort of taking a wait and see approach. Let's see how he does over the next several weeks, months. 
Um, if that velocity continues to remain where it is and he doesn't get it back to where, where you know, the 95 range or so, then I would be concerned. And I would definitely be concerned if I was one of the teams looking to sign him to a big free agent deal in the offseason. I'll put it that way. Um, that, that is certainly something, a long-term concern, if, if it doesn't get back to where it was, if it continues to stay in the low 90s like that. I'm wondering if there's maybe some sort of a mechanical issue at, at play there, maybe some sort of a hidden injury, because uh, it is odd for a player um, at his age and his you know, point in his career to suddenly lose that much. So I'm wondering if there's something at play there that we're just not seeing. Yeah, and I still think the Cubs are the team to beat. I think they're the best team in the league by quite a bit, so I'm not too worried about them as a whole. I want to ask you about Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper is off to a monster start. He is slashing 385, 500, 654. He did this last year. He got off to a great start in April, and then he really fizzled the rest of the year. And of course, in 2015, he had a historically great year. So I'm curious, which Bryce Harper do you think we're going to see this year? Do you think we'll see 2015 Bryce or 2016 Bryce? My guess is right now it's going to be closer to the 2015 Bryce Harper. Having said that, you know, as you as you pointed out, it was a historically great year. I don't know that he'll you know exactly match that, but I think that's closer to his real um, level, his real talent level than the 2016 season, which. I don't know exactly how to explain that. I think, again, injuries were probably a part of it, maybe even injuries that he didn't want to acknowledge. Um, but, yeah, given, given how well he did in the spring, given what he's doing now, um, I'm optimistic that he's going, to be a continue, he's going to be a superstar caliber player this year rather than the 2016 version who was, um, let's say, not a superstar. <laughs> Although his, his OPS Plus was still, was still um, well above average. But, yeah, certainly – he he wasn't the play you know anywhere near the player he was the year before so yeah i guess my answer to that is i think he's going to be a lot closer to 2015 than 2016 do you think 2015 is going to be Bryce Harper's best season of his career well yeah i think i think it absolutely could be but that not necessarily being a bad thing you know what i mean because it was such a great year such an historic year that i don't think he has to he has to ever match that again to continue to be a star player and, I mean, there are Hall of Famers who never had a, a year that good. You know, honestly, in some ways, Mike Trout has never had a year that good. So I think that – I think it may very well end up being the best year of his career, but I think that's okay. I don't think that's a reason to be um, pessimistic about the rest of his career at all, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Albert Pujols has never had a year that good. He's going to go down as one of the greatest players ever. So for him exactly. to have a year like that, I mean, if he can produce, if he does have a few more years like that, we're going to see a record contract in two years like we've never seen before. It will start with a four or a five. And uh, I hope it isn't. I hope he has more years that are uh, that are better than 2015. And we'll see where that goes from there. Let's stick in the National League for just a little bit. The Cardinals are off to a slow start. They're two and five. Their bullpen has been hit pretty hard. You think that's a problem for them going forward? I'm not really high on that. Yeah, I, I don't know that that bullpen. Uh, I don't know that, that bullpen is very good, and I think they have the problem, you know, of being in being in the same division with the the Cubs. I think they're probably likely at best playing for a wild card spot. But yeah, the bullpen is 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 an area of concern. I don't think there's anybody in there who really there's not. You know, they I don't they don't have uh, some of the like if you look at somebody like the Orioles. You know, there are several guys in there who you, you feel confident will be good, even if they're struggling a little bit now. With the Cardinals, I don't get that feeling. I'm not really not really sold on that bullpen. Arizona is six and two. They of course fired their general manager during the offseason. They reassigned Tony Larusa to a different role in the organization. They shook up the whole team. They shook up the whole team rather. Are you buying them as a potential sleeper in the National League this year? 
Yeah, I think I think certainly they uh, they could be. Um, the, the, but like you said, the offseason shakeup is certainly a step in the right direction. I think they've got people in charge now, much more uh, up on modern analytics and much more up on baseball thought and the kind of t- uh, you know kind of uh, front office that's not going to trade away Dansby Swanson for Shelby Miller. Um, and I like what they did bringing in Jeff Mathis in the offseason, who's who, because of his pitch framing numbers are certainly a lot better than Wellington Castillo's had been. So is that going to help the pitching staff, which was such a such a you know black hole for them last year? I think it very well could. I mean, the question with them is always going to be, even if Greinke gets back to being Greinke, what you know, what do they have after that? Are we confident in the in the guys behind him, the Robbie Rays and, and um, um, Patrick Corbin's and those guys? That's going to be the question for them because I think they're going to score runs. Um, can they turn it around? Can they be the kind of team that you know wins that 90, 91 games and gets in the wild card conversation? Um, I'm going to say I think I think they can. Yes. Such a weird team, the way that that team is constructed with if such a top heavy lineup and such a you know with Granke and Goldschmidt and Pollock. I feel like they have three truly elite players, but for the rest of the roster, it's like okay, Jake Lamb's pretty good, and then the, then it's just like a bunch of guys. It's so weird to have so many stars. It's almost like the stars and scrubs approach in a fantasy draft. Yeah, it is. It's 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 very top heavy. And Pollock, you know, the guy I mentioned who's coming back, and if he's healthy, that's certainly going to help them a lot. But I think the thing they got going for them is I think that that you know the National League wild card race I think is going to be pretty weak. I don't see there being you know like I just, I just don't see there being a ton of great teams competing for it. So again, if they can if they can win ninety games, they'll probably be right in it. You know, eighty five to ninety in that range is probably going to get you in the conversation at least. And I think they're capable of that. Um, again, it's going to depend so much on you know whether Greinke really, I mean, he's looked pretty good so far, whether he can keep that up and then what the guys behind him do, because they, you know, the, the rotation was, was pretty bad. Like the pitching overall was just bad last year. Uh, and that's, that's not going to do it. But if they, if they, you know, show some real improvements, yeah, there's no reason they can't be in the wild card discussion at least. Let's jump over to the American League. Seattle is just two and six. They were a team that a lot of people thought could contend for the division or certainly be in the wild card race. Are you buying them as a contender still, despite their slow start? Yeah, I'm not sure I ever bought them as a contender in the first place, to be honest. Um, I was never as high on them as some people are. I think the, the Rangers and Astros are, are clearly a lot better than they are. Um, I'm a little worried about Nelson Cruz at his age, whether they're going to continue to get the kind of production they've been getting from him. And um, yeah, I'm, 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 I would be worried if I was a Mariners fan. I'll put you that way. It's a slow start. I don't know, um, you know, if they if they reel off five six wins in a row here, then they probably don't need to worry about it. But you know, you get you get yourselves into a, a hole where you're ten games below five hundred by the beginning of May. That, that's really hard to get out of. And, and I don't know that they're the team to do it. Yeah, I do like the Mariners still. I, I thought they would be a wild card team this year, and I still think that they have that capability. And I'm very high on James Paxton. Everybody else was high on James Paxton this year, too. But he's pitched great so far. He hasn't given up an earned run. He has a FIP of 1.66. He has 13 strikeouts in 13 innings. Do you think he is for real? Do you think he's a legitimate Cy Young contender this year? Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned everybody's high on him. I mean, there was so much preseason stuff written about him as kind of a sleeper Cy Young pick and that kind of thing. It's been really interesting to see him get off to such a great start. And, and I think the reason um, that he was – a lot of people were picking him to do well this year is because he had a great second half of 2016, a little, maybe a little under the radar because he was pitching in Seattle. But, yeah, his numbers were really good. Um, he dropped his his um, his walk rate went way down in 2016. His strikeout rate went way up. 
Um, I think some thought that there was some mechanical um, improvements he made. Um, so, so far, so good. Yeah, it looks like, you know, there, there are a lot of people predicting he would be in the Cy Young conversation. And so far, he certainly has, has looked like he's going to be. So, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised to see him sustain it and be one of the, you know, one of the elite starters in the league. I think he ha- has that kind of uh, talent. And if he can stay healthy, you know, another thing with him is injuries has always been an issue, you know, since he came up. He hasn't really been healthy for an extended period. So if he stays healthy, yeah, I think he's absolutely in the conversation among, to be among the best starters in the league. I agree. And Paxton is a reminder that not every prospect is a hit right away, and that's okay. Fans are, as you know, notoriously impatient, um, especially these days, I think, where you read so much about these guys. If, you, if you're interested in prospects, or if you're playing fantasy and you want to, and you have, you know, these keeper leagues, people learn about these guys years before they even get to the majors. And so the expectations are so high. So somebody, <coughs> excuse me, like Paxton, you feel like you've been reading about him forever, even before he was in the majors. And it's like, ah, oh, he's a bust. He's never really done anything. But yeah, he's still he's still only like twenty eight or something like that. So yeah, I think I absolutely agree. I think think fans need to exhibit more patience. Not everybody like says going to be a a Trout or a Harper who's a star right out of the gate. It's that's just not the way it works normally. The Twins actually have the best record in baseball at 5-1 and one right now. I will say this. I'm not buying that at all. I think the Twins will end up as one of the worst teams in the American League. What do you think? Yeah, I think the Twins, I think for them a good season would be if they could, you know, lose 90 games instead of 100. You know what I mean? If they, if they can reduce that, um, you know, from being absolutely dreadful to being just bad, that's a good step in the right direction for them. And they have, you know, they have some good... Um, at least prospects and good, good, talented young players. The pitching again is is the issue there. I mean, if you're relying on Phil Hughes and Irvin Santana in 2017 to be at the top of your rotation, that doesn't bode well in the long term, I don't think. And they haven't really played anybody good yet. The, the White Sox and Royals haven't looked very good out of the gate, and that's where all their wins have come. Um, let, let them play a few of the better teams in the league, and we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm not buying them as a contender at all. We mentioned the. Appeal of patience when it comes to young players with uh, James Paxton. And Minnesota has Byron Buxton, of course, who was the former number one overall pick a few years ago. And he is getting crushed right now. He's hitting .77, 111, 115. That's as bad of a slash line as you're going to see. Do you think he's ever going to hit at the major league level? Well, I mean, I don't, you, know, you never want to say never, but I, I would say um, you know, he's still young. He's still got, obviously, a ton of, of athletic ability. Um, but it, his, you know, as, as I'm sure you know, his strikeout and walk numbers are very troublesome in the majors. He he strikes out a lot and doesn't walk hardly at all, um, and that's you know that that's a bad combination for a guy who's um, you know who's trying to find his way in the major leagues. He just doesn't make contact enough, and that's why I think you're seeing those those low batting averages and everything else. He's just not putting the ball in play enough. Um, he needs to figure that out. I mean, he doesn't need to be. Um, you know, he doesn't need to be Joey Votto in terms of walks, but he needs to have he, he needs to get on base occasionally, and and he needs to make the pitchers you know pitch him strikes and not be swinging it at everything. And again, once he starts getting the ball into play, maybe things will, will take off. But he hasn't shown the ability to do that in the major league level yet. So, uh, you know, if I were the Twins, I would I would keep playing him and just hope for the best. And and you know, I, I don't think there's any reason to pull the plug or panic yet. But but those those are the numbers that concern me. Those strikeout and walk numbers are. Are, are not sustainable at all. He needs to really figure that out if he's going to be a major league, you know, even be a good major league player, never mind a great major league player. Yeah, I think the best case scenario for Buxton is Kevin Kiermeyer. 
Kiermaier is an elite defender, as is Buxton. Buxton's probably even a better base runner than Kiermaier is. I don't know if he's ever going to even hit as much as Kiermaier does, but if Buxton can just be a league average hitter, if his OPS plus is 100 at the end of the year, at the end of his career, he will have added a lot of value because of his defense. I'm just not convinced he's ever going to hit even to be league average. Let's go to the AL East. Toronto is the worst team in baseball at 1-5. and five. Batista, Tulowitzki, Russell Martin, all off to slow starts. They all look a little old. Is this a legitimate cause for concern here? Um, yes, <laughs> it is. I think, um, you know, there's a reason that nobody was, was lining up to sign Jose Batista in the offseason. I mean, there's definitely, there were signs last year that he is, um, you know, I don't know, what is he, 36 now, something like that, 35, 36. Um, there's certainly reasons to be concerned about him, whether he's he, he's never going to be the hitter he was again, I don't think. Um, I guess same thing with Russell Martin. I mean, he's you got to figure he's at the end of his career. And, and Tulowitzki, I don't. I mean, he's a little bit younger, but, um, you know, injuries and everything. He, is he going to be the hitter he was? They've lost Encarnacion. Yeah, I think maybe this team is, is going to be – a non-contender, uh, to, to be honest. I don't, I don't know that you can count on Batista and Martin being the kind of hitters they were in the past, and that's going to be a problem for them because that, this is a team that has relied the last couple seasons they've relied on, you know, um, on big, big offense scoring a lot of runs. And if they, they don't have the guys who were producing that, um, I don't know. I don't know where they go from there. Yeah, they made the ALCS the last couple of years, but do you think that's it? Do you think this team has peaked and that they missed their championship window? Yeah, I, I think that could very well be the case. Um, they had great opportunities the last two years to go to the World Series, and I think they could have won it either. I mean, maybe not last year. I don't know they would have beat the Cubs, but I think they could have They could have um, beat the Giants two years ago. Yeah, I, I think maybe it is. I think maybe their window has closed for this particular group of players because, as you said, it's not a young group at all. And they lost Encarnacion, who was you know one of their best players. They still have Josh Donaldson, who's, who's an elite player, obviously. And that helps. And, and there's some other guys on there who are good. I don't expect them to be, you know, a terrible team. But, you know, could they be a team that ends up winning, you know, 83 or 85 games? That, that wouldn't surprise me at all. And, and in that case, I think the, win- the window is closed if they don't do anything this year. You mentioned earlier that you're an Orioles fan, and the Orioles are a team that beat the projections every year. Pakoda and Fangraphs, they release their projections, and the Orioles are either at the bottom (laughs) or near the bottom in the AL East every single year, and they always do well. I think over the last five years, they've won more games in the American League than anybody else. Why do the Orioles always beat their projections, and what do you see in them this year? Uh, Yeah, it's so tough to say because I always want to... I tend to be a pessimist by nature, so I'm... Every year, I kind of agree with the projections, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's right." And usually, it's because of the pitching. You know, I'm, I'm not sold on starting pitching. I, I think the reason, one of the reasons, certainly they've overperformed their projections is I mentioned a little bit earlier. The bullpen has been consistently good throughout this. You know, the Buck Showalter era. They've always had two or three really effective relievers at the end of the bullpen who have helped out when the starting pitching has been. You know, just honestly, you look at the starting pitching they've had over the last five years and, and try to explain how they've had the best record in the league. It doesn't seem possible. The bullpen has certainly been a part of that. I mean, they hit a lot of homers, which helps. I mean, you know, when you when you when you consistently know you're going to be able, even if you're not doing anything else, you might hit three homers in a game. That that certainly helps. Um, and you know, I think Buck Showalter is just is just a good manager, and that that has helped a lot too. But as for what I expect this year. I think the projections generally had them in, you know, at 79 win range or something like that. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see that, you know, to see them be a team that's below 500, but not much below 500. Um, I just, I'm still not sold on their starting pitching, uh, especially with Tillman out. Um, Gossman and Bundy, I think both have 
potential to be really good, but we're not sure exactly what we're going to get from either of those guys. And if Tillman's out for a while, you know, the, the, the other three-fifths of that rotation is, is not something you want to take to battle, to battle with you every day. So, so yeah, I, I think it's maybe this is the year they actually play their projections. That's kind of my gut. Manny Machado is a free agent in two years. There's a lot of talk that the Angels are wasting Mike Trout and that they're wasting Mike Trout's prime by not surrounding him with a more competitive team. Do you feel that the Orioles are doing the same with Machado? Well, I mean, certainly not to the extent because, as you said, they've made the they've made the playoffs um, three of the last five years when he's been there. Um, they won the actually they won the division the year that he was injured and didn't actually play in the playoffs. But um, probably, you know, I don't know that you could say they've wasted it, but um, certainly you would like to, you'd like to have them be more of the kind of team that can win a hundred games. Um, yeah, it's it's tough to say. I think they're um, they're a better team than the Angels, and they have been except for the one year. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say they're wasting it, but yeah, certainly I would I would love to see him get the opportunity to play in a World Series as an Oriole, and I, I don't know that that's going to happen realistically. Yeah, I don't see that one happening either. You've been listening to Justin McGuire. You can subscribe to his Baseball by the Book podcast on iTunes and give him a follow on Twitter at MLB. Justin, thanks so much for the time and for joining the podcast today. Uh, no problem. Anytime.